Amen. Please take your seats. Wonderful. Today, before we go into a time of ministry, I want to deliver a word to you. And um, it's something I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of months. Something I've been praying about. Something I've been meditating about. So it's something that's quite important in my thinking and prayer and life at the moment. And that's why I feel I should share it with you at this service. And I want to speak about facing the barrenness barrier. Facing the barrenness barrier, or facing the barrier of barrenness, whichever way you want to, to put it. And one of the things we see in the Bible, generally speaking, is that wherever God blesses, there is fruitfulness, there is multiplication, there is fertility, there is abundance. Wherever God blesses, fruitfulness, multiplication, abundance, fertility. But we also see a general theme that where the judgment of God is in action, that there is barrenness, there is desolation, there is sterility, there is decline. Now, I want to say right at the beginning that if anybody here and you're believing God, you're a couple, you're, you're married and you're believing God for a child or, uh, and you haven't had a child, I'm not talking about you in your particular situation, okay? We'll believe God with you, we'll pray for you tonight. If it, I'm not saying you're under the judgment of God if you believe in God for a child and you haven't had a child yet, all right? I'm not saying that at all in any way and, and that's not what God is saying to you either. I want to say that so I can be free to talk about this, all right? And I'd hate it if there was anybody here or watching on, on uh, internet who is really believing God for a child and saying, Lord, why haven't we had a child yet? And then think that I say you're under the judgment of God. I categorically say that you're not and we'll believe God for you. We're in a fallen world and everything happens like it should. So having said that, I can now be, feel free to talk about um, the, these themes. We see in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginnings, especially before the fall, that God's blessing was all about fruitfulness, abundance, and multiplication. So, for example, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 11, as we see this created order, it says, God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So straight away we see that God is saying to the earth, produce fruit. All types of fruit, fruit trees. And then he speaks about the seed which is in the fruit, that yields the fruit whose seed is in it. And the picture here is you've got one piece of fruit, but inside it there are many seeds, many seeds. I mean, you take one, one apple and you see five, six seeds. Can you imagine if each of those seeds did another apple tree and uh, it's multiplication, isn't it? I know we're in a fallen world. Not every seed is perfect or germinates. But imagine what it was like 
in the perfect world where there was no fall, where everything worked perfectly. Every time that fruit dropped, every single seed would germinate, produce fruit, produce tree. And, and of course, the yield would be perfection. This is before the fall. The yield would be absolutely amazing. The abundance of the fruit, these fruit-bearing trees, they, everything, everything was fertile. There was no resistance to growth or multiplication. Imagine that when God began these fruit. And then later on, another example, uh, 120, Genesis 120. Then God said, let the waters abound or swarm with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly uh, in, the he- in the earth and in the heavens. And then verse 22, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the earth and let the birds multiply on the earth. So again, we get this created order where we have the swarming uh, um, um, abundance of creatures in the sea. Fish just giving birth to fish and fish and fish and fish. And again, remember, it's hard for us. Even today, it's amazing to see the abundance on the earth. But remember, there's no resistance here. Everything worked perfectly and to its absolute optimum. This was the perfect world until Adam and Eve ruined it. So this, 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 this growth, it must have been incredible. You would have been amazed. You would be amazed at the speed of things being fruitful. I don't know, I'm conjecturing. But perhaps, you know, instead of a fruit tree taking three, four years to mature and, and produce good fruit, maybe it would take three or four months. Who's to know? There was no winter, there was no spring, there was no autumn. It was the perfect season for growth all the time. The soil was perfect. Everything was perfect. The environment was perfect. The genetics in the fish and the animals were perfect. Everything was perfect. Everything was working at 100% optimum. You would be absolutely amazed and astonished, gobsmacked, to see what was going on if you were there at that time. The, The multiplication, the perfect fruitfulness, no resistance, no decay, every seed working to its ultimate fruitfulness. How wonderful that must have been. And then, of course, we find that mankind made in God's image Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. What happens when God blesses? Multiplication and fruitfulness. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing. What a wonderful picture. No resistance. And, and, and if there hadn't been a fall, imagine what it must have been like for the multiplying of human beings on the earth. No pain in childbirth, no childbirth difficulties. Just imagine, you know, I don't know, again, this is conjecture, but hey, maybe instead of nine months, it would take three months or three weeks. I don't know. This is a perfect world, very different. And so just get in your spirit this wonderful picture. Try and imagine being there in this world, Adam and Eve, and around you, everything's teeming. Everything's multitudes. 
Everything is just, nothing is overgrown, but everything is growing over and over again. There are no weeds, nothing like that. You know, everything was perfect. Everything was in order. Everything was fruitful. Everything, it, it was just amazing. And this was going to happen with human beings as well. Uh, pain-free childbirth. Absolute preg- oh, it's it, it just it's a picture of God's blessing, and God says this is what happens when His blessing comes. So, what comes when God's judgment comes? Well, you know the story, Genesis three and verse sixteen. Genesis three sixteen. What it, what what happens at the fall? Well, a number of things happen at the fall, but one of the things that definitely happens at the fall is that fruitfulness and multiplication are made infinitely more difficult. We can go, we we know the story, we can go right to chapter 3, verse 14. The serpent's just been judged. So, the Lord said to the serpent, because, okay, no, verse 16. The serpent's judged, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then to the man, then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So look at this judgment. The Adam and Eve fell. They turned against God and everything that was good. And at the heart of the judgment... They were stricken in multiplication and fruitfulness. You know, the judgment that came to the woman that described here is the difficulty now to to produce childbirth. Thank God we can pray for people. We have a womb ministry here at KT. So when someone's pregnant at KT, we have a ministry on on special Saturdays where people pray and we stand with you during your pregnancy, praying God's blessing right through to birth and beyond. That's God's desire. We're redeemed. We're believing God. But, But here at the fall, straight away, the ability to multiply and produce children across the earth, which was God's mandate. Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. That was his mandate and that was his blessing. Now that blessing had gone and now it was going to be more difficult to do that. Can you see that? And then with the man also, uh, the judgment came at the level of multiplication and fruitfulness. And here, God spoke about the earth. Because when Adam and Eve fell, they took creation that they were looking after on behalf of God and stewarding, creation was subdued with them. Creation itself is fallen. We still see the image and beauty of God in a fallen creation, but creation is yearning and groaning, Romans tells us, yearning for the manifestation of the sons of God. And we know that that one day God will give us a new heavens and a new earth. He'll not only restore the perfect environment, he'll make it even better if that could be possible, which it is. And God said, your judgment is the earth. And the earth was cursed. In toil you'll eat of it. Thorns and thistles. 
and by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat the bread. So imagine the environment I tried to describe before you, this wonderful, just teeming multiplication, things, there was no resistance, everything was fertile, everything was fruitful, everything was multiplying, everything was abundant, and now all of a sudden, that has stopped. It's going to be difficult to produce children. You won't be have a child every three weeks, or whatever it might have been like. And now, to produce harvest, it's going to be hard. There's going to be resistance. There's a difficulty now in a fallen earth to produce this. And yet God's mandate still, still, still remains to be fruitful. And we know throughout Scripture that people would still go to the Lord for harvests, wouldn't they? And God says, I'll take you into the promised land. It'll be a land of milk and honey. And, and God promises that when his blessing comes, part of that blessing to the Old Testament people, that blessing will bring in good crops will bring in good herds. When they had big herds, when Abraham had herds, when they had crops, when they were in the promised land, they saw it as God's blessing, didn't they? And it was. If you obey the words of my command, you'll be fruitful in the city. You'll be fruitful in the, in the farm. Your, your, your baskets will be filled. Your, your animals will reproduce. Remember the curses and the blessings and the blessings of the law? If you obey my commands... These blessings, it was abundance, it was multiplication. We know that uh, this mandate continued with Abraham, the father of all that believe. God called him and gave him a similar mandate to those of Adam and Eve. God's mandate to Abraham was go to the promised land, but his mandate was I will multiply you. I will bless you, I will multiply you, and I will make you a great nation. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your family, from your, get out of your country, from your family, and your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I will make you a great nation. This is the man that had no children at this point. And then we go to Genesis chapter 15. And again, the father of faith, in whose footsteps we're meant to walk, is again spoken over. And uh, uh, Genesis 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? A great nation indeed. What? Seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. He was anything but a great nation. Then Abraham said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And then one of the greatest verses in the Bible, repeated again and again in the New Testament, and he believed in the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. And Paul, Paul uses that verse 
Genesis 15, verse 6. six. And Abraham, I'm thinking about multiplication, you see. And, and Abraham, Genesis 15, verse 6. I'll never say it again. I'm going to be teaching from Romans, a great thing. And I'm going to be going talking about Genesis 15, 6. And it's ruined. Genesis 15, 6. He believed God and he accounted it to him as righteousness. And Paul uses this verse to say, just like Abraham, when you believe in God, and you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again, you're righteous. Not by anything that you've done, not by anything that you could do. Abraham had done nothing, nothing. But he just believed God, and it was credited to it, given to him as righteous. He was saved at that moment. And we preach about that verse a lot, don't we? It's there in Galatians, it's there in Romans. But notice, what did he believe in? He believed that he would be a father of many nations. He looked at the stars and God said, so will your descendants be. And against all hope, Abraham says, I believe. And God says, you're saved. So isn't that interesting how even the salvation... By faith, saved by faith, Abraham, the father of faith, was saved by faith. We see this in Romans 4, that's where it's quoted, saved by faith. But in a context, fruitfulness and multiplication. We go again to Genesis 22 and verse 15. And and God had come to Abraham and said, right, take your son, your only son... And sacrifice him. In other words, God's challenge was, do you believe me? Take your son in whom all these stars of your descendants are going to take him and sacrifice him. It was a great test because God was saying, do you trust me for multiplication? And Abraham said, well, I did at the beginning. Well, now I've given you Isaac. I want to take Isaac away. Do you still believe me for multiplication? And Abraham had matured by that time. He'd had his Ishmael. He'd grown and become a friend of God. And he believed God. And Hebrews 11 says about this passage that Abraham said to himself, if God allows, if if I have to sacrifice my son, God will have to raise him from the dead because God promised me that in Isaac is your seed. And, and, And God saw that. And so he said to him, Genesis 22, 15, this is the blessing. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, sacrificed Isaac, always prepared to, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Isn't that amazing? The blessing is again linked to multiplication. We see at the beginning Adam and Eve being blessed, go forth and multiply. We see Abraham, believe me, and I will multiply you. See the stars. He believed God. He was saved. Saved. And then at the end, when he was already saved by the end, but when he had matured as a friend of God, God said, now I'm going to confirm with an oath 
the blessing which is multiplication. It's interesting that even Jesus gave us the same mandate of multiplication. Right before uh, the day of Pentecost at the end of the Gospels, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's the same mandate that was giving Abraham. Abraham's descendants were not just going to be Jewish believers, but now they were going to be believers from every tribe and every creed and every race. And Jesus basically said to the disciples, go forth and multiply. On the day of Pentecost, by the anointing of the Spirit, see how quickly they multiplied, 5,000 men and others. Saved on that first day, the spirit of multiplication. This is God's desire. This is God's will. This is God's mandate for us. It's interesting how throughout the Bible we see this struggle at times with fertility, with multiplication, fruitfulness and abundance. It doesn't always happen that if you are a child of God, or even in right relationship with God, that therefore everything immediately multiplies. I mean, we've already mentioned Abraham and Sarah struggled for 25 years, struggled with fruitfulness, struggled with the issues of multiplication. That was their struggle. Abraham, believe me, I'll multiply. I believe in you, Lord. Then you are righteous, justified by faith alone. And then the whole journey was one of multiplication and fruitfulness. And it didn't just come to Abraham. When God promised him, a child didn't come to him in nine months' time, did it? 25 years at least. And he's struggling with fruitfulness. This is where I believe the prophetic is kicking in. He's struggling with fruitfulness. He's not fruitful at all. He's not fruitful, he's not multiplying, nothing is happening. The promise is there, the mandate is there, the blessing is there. But he's not seeing that fruitfulness at all. And he gets to the places I'll come back to, that in the end he produces a Ishmael. It's not a child of the promise, not a child of the blessing, not a child of the spirit, not a miracle child at all, but a child of a slave that was produced. And Abraham wanted Ishmael to inherit. Oh, but if only Ishmael would inherit before you. And God said, no, no. And he struggled, and Sarah struggled too, with these issues of fertility and fruitfulness. That's their story, isn't it? It's their story. But in the end, God gives them a child. A child. And, and that's just one child, I know Abraham had other children with other women, but after that took over wives, but God only gave them one child. That's not stars in the heaven, is it? And then Isaac's wife, Rachel struggled. Do you know that? She struggled with fertility issues, fruitfulness issues, and, and Isaac had to go and seek the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. It doesn't say how long he did. I bet there's a story in that. But he prayed to the Lord. He was suffering the same fertility problems, fruitlessness as his father. <laughs> were they under a curse? No, they were under the blessing. But it seemed like they were under the curse. And he cried out to the Lord. 
and he had Jacob, and he had Isaac, sorry, and Esau. We think of Hannah. Hannah was a woman of God, and she struggled. She was was a saint. She loved the Lord. She was a righteous woman, but she was struggling with fertility. She wanted a child so much, and she was seeking God. The priesthood at that time, they were corrupt, but she was not corrupt. And so she went to the temple, you know the story there in 1 Samuel, and she's pleading to God, and and the priest Eli thinks she's drunk. She's not drunk, she's just crying out to the Lord. And what does God do? Takes her through this process. She had been spurned and, 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 and was outcast because of this, and God opened her womb. And what came forth? Samuel, the founding prophet who would bring in Saul, bring in David, who would be the last great judge prophet, the greatest of the judges, one of the greatest of the prophets, was born. What an impact he had. I think of Elizabeth, Zechariah in the New Testament, there may be others, but I'm just picking a few out to make a point. All their years, they had been under infertility. They had not had a child at all. They had struggled with barrenness all those years and all the shame that in that culture it brought. Oh, they must be under the curse of God. They must be under God's judgment. Well, it looked like that. It looked like that for Abraham. It looked like that for Isaac. It looked like that for Hannah. It looked like that for Zechariah and Elizabeth. But God had a plan. And in the end, as we know, a supernatural boy was born, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And uh, think of the fruitfulness that he brought in his ministry. So I believe that this is a key theme in the Bible. Fruitfulness, non-fruitfulness. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 26, where we see this again. Now, Galatians is all about the gospel, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You'll find that in Galatians as well as Romans. And here, at the end of chapter 4, all the argument and the teaching of the gospel that Paul has been given, he puts into picture form, allegory form. And he says, and this is all about fruitfulness, having offspring, We'll go from 21, Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic? For there are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And here it is, verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, For the desolate has many more children than she who has the husband. 
Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Now here in this passage, we, we see Paul summarizing his teaching in Galatians. You've got law. Law on the one side. Flesh on the one side. Hagar on the same side. Ishmael on the same side. The law, flesh, disobedience, human ability. Hagar, son of a slave on the one side. Then on the other side, you've got grace. You've got promise. You've got Holy Spirit. You've got Sarah. And you've got the miracle child, Isaac. There it is. Galatians summarized in this picture. And again, the story, as we know, is all about fertility, isn't it, and fruitfulness. That's the story. That's why Ishmael appeared. And here, what Paul is saying is, the ways of the slave and Ishmael, the flesh, disobedience, human power, the law, these things cannot produce the fruitfulness and the offspring that God has promised. And then you get this amazing passage. And this passage is taken from Isaiah chapter 54. Rejoice, O barren, for you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now if we go back to Isaiah chapter 53... I am thinking about this all the time. I'm going to bed thinking about these issues. I'm praying about these issues. I'm meditating on these issues. That's why I wanted to share that with you tonight. Now, Isaiah chapter uh, 54. There it is, verse 1. See it? Sing, O barren, you have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, because more kids are coming in. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. You're going to need some new baby rooms. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will be not put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore, for the maker is your husband. Now, that's a powerful passage in itself. But let me just remind you, chapter 40, 54 comes after chapter 53. One of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, beginning, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Oh, and then that beautiful picture of a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is Jesus. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, judged by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripe we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. It pleased, in verse 10, it pleased 
the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. But then, verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by righteous servants shall justify many. Remember? Abraham, I'm going to make you father of multitudes. Abraham believed God and he was justified. And here we have Jesus died and rose again. My righteous servant shall justify many. He shall bear their sins. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for this transgressors. Sing, O barren, you have not been, you have not born. You see, there's no chapters in the Old Testament. We put the chapters in so that we could read them. Can you see how it flows? You've got the whole of Isaiah 53 and then you come straight into this, this passage that is quoted in Galatians. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout for you who are not in labor. What is this speaking about? Well, this is speaking about souls. Souls. Souls that are born again. This is talking about people that will be converted to Christ. That just like Abraham, they will be, believe in the only true and living God and his resurrected son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And they too will be justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means that Jesus died on your behalf, carried the sin that you should carry, and you've been justified. And now if you believe in the cross and resurrection of Christ, if you believe that Jesus became your substitute on the cross, you should have died on that cross, but he died on that cross for you, then you are justified. And it's just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'm not sinning. And it's just as if I'll never sin again. Because God has declared me not guilty in Christ Jesus because of his blood. So here we see this justification is linked to multiplication. And multiplication is linked to justification. And so rejoice, O barren. Now, why rejoice, O barren? Why would you do that? Because in this state, the actual prophecy, Isaiah 53 and 54, is being preached and spoken to an Israel that is in bondage. They've been carried off into captivity. Jerusalem is destroyed. They're desolate. They think it's over for Israel. Will we ever have a nation again? Maybe God's blessing on Abraham has finished for us now. And so part of the context of what Isaiah is prophesying is to people who think it's all over, who are in, a, who are in barrenness, sterility. And he's saying, look, there's hope for you. Paul is mentioning this here as well because, you see, we see in the Bible that often we find ourselves in a season or a place of barrenness. We find ourselves like Elizabeth or like Sarah or Rachel or Hannah or Abraham in a place where we are not being as spiritually fruitful as we should be. We're not seeing people come to the Lord like, like they should be. We, we're thinking of Genesis where 
people are just multiplying left, right and centre before the fall and animals are giving birth to animals and fish to fish and, 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 and plants to plants and it's, it's just wonderful. And we're saying, what's happening? Barrenness. The church of Great Britain is barren. It's barren in a wasteland. Europe has never been so barren since it first hit the gospel. Europe is spiritually sterile. The church is sterile. The church is barren. It's like the womb of the church has been stopped up in bringing new birth, desolation, sterility. That's the experience of the church of Europe. It's not so in other places of the world, but it is so in Europe. And this is a message for us. First of all, we have to recognize the barrenness that we are in. For it is a judgment. It is a judgment. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. And the whole thing is a catalog of Europe. That Everything that's said after that is Europe. Europe fits that bill perfectly. And even the church fits that bill too in many sections of the so-called church. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. And what does that mean? It means God gives them over to the sin. That's the greatest judgment on the world today is when God gives you over to the sin that you want. God has given Europe over to its sin. And God has given Britain over to its sin. And God has given even the church over to its sinful ways. Three times in Romans, it speaks about the fact God gave them over. He said, if that's what you want, if that's the lifestyle you want, then you can have it. It's the greatest judgment God can ever give is to, let, is to leave you to your own devices. The greatest judgment that God can ever do to a nation is leave it to its own devices. It's a great judgment. There is a great judgment. I promised the Lord I wouldn't, I promised myself I wouldn't get too, too heavy it's because it's, it's heavy on me. Doesn't mean it needs to be heavy on you. So I'll back off a bit. The church is under the judgment. Say it nicely. The church, Britain is under a judgment. You'd be a fool to say anything else. Fool to say, look at all the people that aren't saved. Millions and millions and millions and millions. Households and households and towns and cities and villages. There's a famine in the land of the word of the Lord. It's like Joseph's day. Famine in the land. God broke, it said, God did it. God broke the staff of bread in Pharaoh. And there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land of Europe, of the word of God. And sometimes you just got to step out of our little bubbles to see the horrible state of Europe. Millions and millions and millions of individual souls, families and broken. And they don't know the Lord. Barren land infertile land. Well, I'm going to stop there for that bit because sometimes it's too heavy. Sometimes it's too heavy. Sometimes it depresses me. I get depressed in the middle of the night and start thinking about it. Or I'm, I'm going on a journey in my car. I'm passing village and village. I'm going, I'm passing a village and I'm thinking they're not saved. And I see an estate. There's a big estate and I'm passing this estate in this town I've never even heard of. I'm looking at this estate and I'm thinking be, most of them won't, won't even know the Lord. Families and 
And I'm looking at football stadiums. And I'm trying to watch the football. And I look at the crowds and I go, they don't know the Lord. And it can be too heavy. And it can, it can be, this is why we need this verse. I'm going to move swiftly on. I don't want to let this, the heaviness go heavy too. Let the Lord do his work with you and let the Lord do his work with me. It's not for me to put heaviness on you. And shouldn't, don't want to put my heaviness on you. Because that's something God's doing with me. But look at this verse. Rejoice, O barren. Not rejoice you with many children. Not rejoice you in the multitude. Rejoice, O barren. You who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. What an incredible statement Isaiah is talking about after we've heard the gospel in Isaiah 53. What an incredible statement that, that Paul is giving. He's recognizing that people are in this scenario. He's, he's not pretending everything's fine, everything's wonderful. Start a church, put an attractive program. Draw all the other Christians from other churches and call it revival. He's calling it as it is. He's calling it as it is. He's not looking out at the seven o'clock and looking at the people. He's looking at the empty seats. And then he's thinking about the millions that are in London. And he's thinking something's wrong. Something's wrong. He understands where we are. And the problem is when we're facing barrenness and and my message today is facing the barrenness barrier. I couldn't bring myself to say overcoming the barrenness barrenness barrier, because I haven't. I couldn't bring myself, I said it by mistake at the nine o'clock. I, put break, I got mixed up with that. I said, breaking through the barrenness barrier. I'm not preaching on that tonight. Why? Because I'm not. I'm not breaking through the barrenness barrier yet. That's why we need this verse. Rejoice, O barren. Oh, God is looking some, for someone to believe him. God, God, God is looking for someone like, God is looking for someone like Abraham who's barren. Don't, don't, we're barren, but so was our father Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. Do you believe me? Yes, you're justified. Abraham, sacrifice the only fruit you've got. Yes, Lord, I believe you. Because you'll have the power of resurrection to raise him from the dead again. Abraham, see the stars, see the sand. He was in a barren place. Sometimes God allows us to get into a barren place so that we can seek him. Desire him and realize that what, what we... And here in this barrenness, there's hope. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you are not in labor. For the desolate... Has many more children than she who is a husband. There's the gospel, Isaiah chapter 53. And straight after that, it speaks into a place of desolation, a place of sterility, a place of barrenness. And it said, start rejoicing. Start rejoicing in Isaiah 54. Why? Because of what happened in Isaiah 53. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness in Great Britain and Europe. But thank God, there's a Romans chapter 1, verse 16, 17, 18. For the gospel 
is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. We have to believe God for a breakthrough. We have to acknowledge the barrenness that we're in. We've got to face up to it. We can't stop running away from it. We can't stop saying it's all right. It's not all right. While souls pour into hell, thousands of them, thousands of them on a daily basis, living life without God, with no end but death without God. We have to face this thing, but we have to overcome the desolation that can so easily weigh us down, almost at the place where we give up. You know, when you're struggling in barrenness, in church life, in church growth, in, in cell life, you know, you, can, you feel like giving up sometimes. You feel powerless, powerless to produce, infertile and sterile. And you think, well, what do I do? Like I said, one, one of the, well, I haven't said it, but I'm saying that, one of the biggest dangers is to go down the Ishmael route. What's the Ishmael route? The Ishmael route is doing everything without God. So, I know what, let's plant a church. That's growth, isn't it? We'll plant a church. We'll take a hundred people from Kensington Temple and we'll relocate them in Bermondsey and we'll tell everybody we're, pla- we're a church planted. We're not ch- planted anything. You shifted 100 people down Bermondsey. And what are they going to do? Maybe, well, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll save the ones and the twos. Well, the ones and the twos were getting saved here anyway. So what we can do is like, is like isn't it, shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic. We'll shift this here, we'll shift that there, we'll make it look good. We'll get some sort of attractional preacher and we'll gather all the Christians from different churches, get them in a venue get them in Wembley Stadium, say, or something like that, and would say, look how big we are. We're nothing, that's nothing. That stadium is nothing compared to the multitudes in Great Britain. But here's a promise. Rejoice, O barren. Not despair, O barren. Not not be dissolute, O barren. Not give up, O barren. Not, Not be defeated, O barren. But break forth and shout. Break forth and shout. It's like the picture of a child breaking forth as the waters break and coming out. And that first shout, that first cry of life. Rejoice about Ishmael's come in many different shapes and forms. Ishmael's are where we don't face the situation and say that only God can do it, but then begin to believe God, to believe God and to walk with God. You know, I'll finish on this. Romans chapter 4. I won't go to it, but you see Romans chapter 4, it begins and it speaks about that Abraham was justified by, actually I will go just to show show you. Romans chapter 4, it's all linked. Justification is linked to multiplication. Multiplication is linked to justification. The two are partners. Romans chapter 4. What shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? Verse 1. For Abraham was justified by works. He's something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. That is then explained. Then we come back and pick up the story in verse 13. 
for the promise that he would be the heir of the world. You see, justification, now multiplication. Heir of the world to his seed. And then, as it is written, verse 17, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not, as though, uh, uh, that do not exist as though they were, who contrary to hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his body or that of Sarah's, about 100 years ago. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he'd promised, he was able to perform. So what did he do? In this barrenness, infertile situation, he had a promise. You and I have a promise. John 15, 16, I have appointed you to bear fruit. Go into all the world and make disciples. God has given us a promise. It's the same promise as Abraham. It starts with justification and then the next thing is multiplication. And what will it take? It'll take this. We have to believe in the same God Abraham believed in Romans 4. I've said this many times, but if you will go to Abraham and say, Abraham, could you just sum up what your God is like in two attributes? I'm sure you could tell us loads of things about God, but your God, Abraham, if there's two things we need to know, to go from barrenness to fruitfulness. Two things we need to know about your God, because this was all about the promise of multiplication, father of many nations. It says, the promise, father of many, many nations. He believed God. Which God? What God? What sort of God? The God that gives life to the dead. Calls those things that are not as though they were. Gives life to the dead. The next, what dead? few verses next, Sarah's dead womb. She was incapable of producing, but Abraham believed in the God that can raise things. A dead Europe. Do you believe it can be raised? Do you believe that we can be part of something that can transform dead Britain into living souls? Do you believe that God can once... Again, turn France, turn Germany, turn Spain, turn Portugal. Dead, dead. We can see the deadness. We can see the barrenness. And we should see it. We should see it. Otherwise, if we don't see it, we'll be chasing after Ishmael all our lives. Ishmael in our personal lives. We'll be playing with Ishmael. We'll be pretending with Ishmael. What the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He's done nothing. Because that's flesh, unbelief, and human power. But if we believe that God has put us here for a purpose together, if we believe that the vision of this house, we're not going to do it on our own, but surely God has a destiny and a part for us to play as a church, and surely ourselves, and surely these things and have not happened by accident. Surely the prophecies over the house, the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. Surely the prophecy they'll come in hearing and go out doing. 
Surely these things that we pray and seek God and are brought to His throne, surely these things are not in vain. Surely there's, there's, there's a shout of the barren. Surely, surely there's a, there's, a, there's a belief that in death and in barrenness, a group of people that will begin to rise up and believe and shout that greater will be the children of the desolate. Could it be that the desolate church that we are, I'm speaking of all churches, the desolate church that we are compared to what's available and the barren church that we are, could it be we're about to go into labor? Could it be that we can lift our eyes and, and begin to rejoice in the harvest that we're going to be part of. I'm not asking us to rejoice tonight. I'm just saying, can we take this word and begin to say, I don't bear, but God promised and said I should rejoice. I'm barren, but I shouldn't give up. I'll go after Ishmael, but I should go back to the promise and the God who raises things from the dead and calls the harvest that is not as though it were. He's calling us in this verse, to break forth and shout as if we'd had a child born. Desolate, break forth. And do you know what? We have confidence in the gospel. Well, we need new confidence. We don't have confidence in the gospel. God wants to give us a new confidence in the gospel. This is why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because so many people were. He could have said, I'm proud of the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because they felt it wasn't working. But it's the power of God. I don't know what this has done or, or what this will do, or whether it's just me sharing the things that are going on deep within me. Maybe, maybe that's enough. That's what's going on in my heart day and night. These issues, these struggles, these thoughts. Can't say I'm, right, I'm rejoicing right now. Or breaking forth or shouting. But I tell you what, I'm seeking the Lord about it. Get some faith for souls. Faith for the harvest. Faith for growth. Real growth. New growth. New babies. New babies. Born again souls. People born again. Born again power. Oh, glory to God. Father, we come to you. Just let this word be a seed in our heart that will produce fruit. We stand here, not just for ourselves, but on behalf of the church and ask, Lord, that we come to you, begin to pray to you, that your grace would come. In your wrath, remember mercy. In desolation, Lord, come and bring your sweet rain. It's your promise. Your promise is not desolation. Your promise is that in desolation, fruitfulness will come. Lord, we refuse to be dominated by our present desolation. We refuse to be dominated by our present barrenness. We refuse to be dominated by the present infertility of the church. We deny that. That's not our inheritance and that is not the promise. Holy Spirit, come and work on us in these days in the church of Jesus Christ in Britain and Europe of all manner and denominate. Come and work and give us faith, joy for the harvest. May we come again to the promises of God.
Let's just stand to our feet together. We're going to just release the Holy Spirit now and pray for people that are in need. Christian's going to come and lead us into this section. We believe that where we preach the word, God will follow with signs and wonders. And that God will own this word by touching people's lives at their point of need. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and worship him as we sing together. Promise you. Thank you, Father. Breathe on me. Breath of God. Hear my cry. For new life. Spirit come. Fill my soul. Change my
The Spirit of God right now can move on your heart right now. Just one touch from His presence. Just one touch of His power. Lord, we thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Just one touch from you and you can rearrange and you can reorchestrate and restructure our lives, Father. You can turn our lives upside down, Lord. In Jesus' name, you can give us a fresh heart, Lord, for you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, Father God, we speak fruitfulness. We speak life, Lord God. You're the God who brings life from the dead. In Jesus' name, so Father God, we pray tonight. Release your life, Lord. Release your life, the life of your spirit, Lord God. Oh, right through our lives, right through our hearts, right through our physical body, right through our spirit, Lord God, our spirit walk, our spirit life, Lord God, our tongue-talking life, Lord God. Oh, Father, God, release your life, Lord. Release your energy. Release your power. Oh, Father, God, we thank you, Lord. Oh, we thank you, Lord God. Oh, Lord, we reach out for more of you, Lord God. We reach out for more of you, Father, God. Oh, we glorify your name. We glorify your name. We're going to sing that song again, the promise of your spirit, but we're going to move into a time of ministry. I'd like the ministry team to come forward right now. Even before Bruce ministered tonight, I really felt to pray for people who have heart conditions or you're, you're feeling pain. Just calm down, my sister, in the corner. Thank you. You're really feeling this pain in the heart. Now, that could be an emotional thing. Could be an emotional pain, a broken relationship, a broken heart, but also pain. You've been to see the doctor, you've got pain in the chest, you've got pain in the heart, or your doctor's told you you've got problems with the heart. If that's you, I want you to take a step out of your seat. I want you to come forward. Specifically now, I want to pray for people with heart conditions, pain in the heart. Now, you come forward on the platform as we sing that song. I'm going to pray for you here. And I believe that God is going to heal your heart. He's going to touch your heart tonight. Hallelujah. So you come to the, to the front. Also, second word that I, I felt that the Holy Spirit just impressed on me was people with back pain. And the specific word was people who have, I don't know if you could call them nodules or different different areas of the back there's, there's intense pain or severe pain that you're struggling with in your back area and uh, I would like to pray for you tonight if you have back pain or that word nodules these kind of different areas of the back that's in pain tonight if that's you want to come to the side of the platform I'm going to pray for you and then just some general words when I was giving the offering talk those who are suffering from fear or anxiety or panic attacks if that's you I want you to come and receive prayer tonight. Fear is not of God. And we want to break that spirit of fear or anxiety. That's not an unusual anxiety. You get anxious for no apparent reason throughout the week. If that's you, I want to pray for you tonight that God's going to touch you. Let's sing that song one more time. The promise of your spirit. And those who have heart conditions, I want you to come on the platform right now. And those who have back pain, nodules on the back, you come on the, on the platform as well. always be Always me and I 
Amen. What's your name? And what have you come forward for, Usain? Sorry? What have you come forward for? How long have you had this pain in your heart? It's, uh, four or five years. Four. You said you got a block, a blockage in your heart. Uh, blockage. I have angiogram also. Angiogram twice. This is a blockage in the heart. Well, we're going to pray for you tonight, the Jesus to unblock that heart. Amen. So let's put our hands forward, church, shall we? Oh, thank you, Father God, that you're the God who unblocks hearts in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask you right now to breathe life. in this heart, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, and Father God, all the blood valves would be pumping the way they're supposed to, Father, unblock, unblock, Father God, in the name of Jesus, oh, Father God, right now, from the top of head to the soles of our feet, Jesus, thank you, Father, strengthen, Father, strengthen, Lord, strengthen, strengthen, God will strengthen your heart, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, Jesus, slip your lady who's also suffering pain in the heart, just put your hand on your, your heart right now. Thank you, Father. Just release your healing anointing. Now cut off the past today in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, complete wholeness of your body in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Jean, you, you came forward for back pain. I've been having head. I injured my back three times in a span of just one and a half years. Is that in different places? You've got pain in different places? The same place. Same place. Lower number, yeah. You wake up in the morning with this, this backache. Yeah, with uh, great difficulty to move it. And I could hardly move in the mornings. And it's really, really painful. So we give pray tonight that God will restructure your back. Put everything back into place. Just put your hand there right now. Just put your hand where the pain, you usually get the pain. Just there, the lower back. Let's just pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, command pain to cease in this back right now. In the name of Jesus. Out of the world. Father, we Something happening? Um, not yet. Not yet. I believe that something's happening right now. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. There it is. Just, just receive it right now. Receive it right now.
lower back pain? Yes. How long have you had this back pain? October 22nd, 2013. I woke up one morning, I couldn't move. And since then, it's been on and off. I've been to the doctor's physio, Mahaidu, um, therapy, all these sort of things, and he said, there's nothing I can do. Can you bend down without pain in your body? Not, not exactly. I can bend. that twinge lift your hands right now we're going to pray for you Jesus loose tonight Operation in your back. Yeah. Yeah. And How long was that ago? About three years ago. Three years ago. And, and do you have pain right now in your, in your back? Where, where's the pain? Is this your, your first time here in KT? song the promise of your presence the promise of your presence promise you Oh, 
Something's happened to you tonight. Hallelujah. Let's give Jesus praise for that right now. Thank you, Father. Let me just pray for you right now. Thank you, Father. From barrenness to fruitfulness, Father. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, Father, give my new heart after you, Father. In Jesus' name, fill him with your spirit. children? How many children? Not yet, anyway. Thank you, Father. We just speak over that word over your life, from barrenness to fruitfulness. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just like anxiety. Yeah, exactly. You suffer from panic attacks. Or... Even when I used to go to college, I used to get scared by talking to people. Yeah. And you know that that's not that's not of God, is it? You know, God wants to deliver you from that. Even Bruce, this coming Wednesday, we're going to be ministering on deliverance as well. Are you part of KT? Yeah. You're in a, in a good cell group. Someone's helping you. Yeah. So let's pray for you. What's your name? Kareen. Just lift your hands, Kareen. Lift your hands right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we speak over tonight. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So, Father God, we loose her from these attacks, Father, right now. In Jesus' name. And just, just as Jesus calmed the storm, we speak peace over you right now. Peace over your heart. In the name of Jesus. Peace be still. Like prayer for tonight. Pray for her back. Your back. You have pain in your back. Yes. Where is the pain? Low. Lower back pain. How long have you had that pain? Half a year. Half a year. And you want Jesus to heal you tonight? Yes. Just lift your hands right now. Jesus there. Loose this pain by the power of your spirit. 
release your healing power, Lord, into this back right now, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Are you in pain right now? No. You, were you in pain before you came up here? Has the pain gone? Do something you couldn't do before. Can you bend down? And the, that pain is gone? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands right now. I want to pray for you guys. How long have you been here in, in, in London? Three years. You've been here one year? Amen. Let's just, just lift your hands and we'll pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name. Father God, we just speak over them tonight. Father, thank you for touching our back. And we pray, Father God, for fruitfulness in all areas of their life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.